This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, what are the challenges of being a successful multi-shop owner? Is there an ideal scenario to buy more locations? Should you buy an existing business or build from the ground up? From the Aftermarket Radio Network, Carm Capriato here. I'm with Craig Pop at the 2022 Elite Invitational in San Diego, and each of his four locations has a unique story to tell. Keep listening if you're in the market for another shop. Hey, thanks to our partner, Napa, for providing you this episode. You know, it's no secret we're facing a technician shortage. Napa Auto Care is addressing that. The free two-year apprentice program offers a variety of training to produce a technician with three ASE certifications. To learn more, members can visit member.napaautocare.com. Hey, back here at the Elite Invitational San Diego, first time in San Diego. What a cool city, Craig. It is an awesome city. I mean, the weather is beautiful compared to the heat that I'm in. Yeah, in in Houston. Uh, Craig Pope is with me from First Tire and Automotive in Sugarland and Katy, Texas, near Houston, right? Right in the suburbs. It's the west side of Houston. West side of Houston. He's a multi-shop owner, and you're here at the Elite Invitational. What an interesting morning we've had. We've had a very interesting morning, but, it, you know... Bob always brings up a lot of good points and everything else. So, yeah, it, so it, you always take away something well, from this. Between the interviews, uh, I sat in there and I learned a lot myself. And just to have people that don't do business in the independent world, but do business in the OEs, explain why they do and what they don't know about the independent. It was worth a million bucks to hear that. It was. A lot of good information came out of it. But I can tell you one of them on the panel, not my customer. Yeah, you could tell. Yeah, so, yeah. but there are some that were on the fence that I think we could get to be our customers. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. They actually showed some vulnerability to, you know, the things that they said back. Hmm. was interesting. More of it's not is what they don't know. Unfortunately, some people aren't truthful and they told them you have to take it back to the dealership because you don't have warranty and you got to get all the repairs. And educating the customers always been a challenge in our industry. It always it? has been a challenge, but you know, we got to keep on working on it. Yeah, well, the, the dealers do know how to do, uh, it's called BW Brainwash. Mm-hmm. Just to talk to friends that I know of that there's nothing but the dealer and it'll be their whole life. And here I make a living and earn my living and been in the independent my whole life. If I tried, it would be like talking politics. It would be. It would be worth <laughs> I wouldn't have any, uh, you know, I wouldn't win ever. Well, look at multi-shop owner. You, you were telling me off mic that you've done it so many different ways. I have. I've been fortunate enough to try it a few different ways. And some ways I think are better than others. Tell you the the first location that I bought, I went there as a manager. The shop owner was selling the shop. Oh, wait a minute. So your first one you bought as you were the manager. Okay. I was a manager. Okay. And he was trying to sell it. And I said, can I put the deal together? And he said, yes, if you can put the deal together, it's yours. And I did. Wait a minute. That is so intriguing to me. How much experience did you have buying a business? Zero. <laughs> you should have seen the zero come up. Uh, yes. But here's where the key part is. Surround yourself with people that have that experience. I had a, a phenomenal accountant that walked me through it all and helped me make sense of it all. Yeah. And I was able to do it. You know, to buy a business that was thriving already. I knew the customer base. So it just made sense. And it was instant success by doing it that way. How long were you the manager? 18 months. Whoa. Did you know you wanted to buy that business? I knew that I wanted to have a business one day, but I didn't know that I was going to buy that business. And were, were you a tech before? Never a tech. Wow. See, I love these stories. 
So I went to college, got a business degree. I worked for the local parts place okay. through putting myself through college, uh, went out as the outside salesman, uh, went into operations, store management, all those things. So that kind of gave me a background, but I always knew that I wanted to own my business and parts wasn't the business that I wanted to own. Yeah. So they were going sideways. It was a parts company that went out of business and got bought up. So what I did is I, I said, this is my time to depart. So I went to work at this local shop. And you must have known them. I did. Yeah. And, and you put a deal together. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. So it's amazing how things just happen sometimes. And did you have this entrepreneurial juice to want to then grow to be a four uh, shop? I still don't know where I want to end up and when I'm through with all That's this. That's good. Me either. Because the day I grow up, uh, somebody will remind me that uh, maybe I finally made it. <laughs> we'll figure that out. <laughs> okay. I did know that I was going to own my own business one day. You I did? That. I okay. did know that. Yeah. And I knew that it would be in the automotive business because that's what I knew the best. And one of the rules for me is do something that you know and do it very well and you will be successful. And I knew automotive. And it made sense for me to stay in this industry. It has worked out very well for me. It wasn't because you were a mechanic. It wasn't, did you have a love for the customer, love for solving problems, love of leadership? Well, I was in the automotive business, so it's not like I wasn't away from it altogether. But no, I wasn't a mechanic. I'm a problem solver. Ah. So fixing a car is easy. I mean, anybody can do that. But fixing a customer's problem, that's a different thing. That's you a live different for look that. at it. You live for that. It's a different look at yeah. it. Yeah. So you buy this operation, you do the deal. How cool is that? <laughs> and you could probably write a book about that. I can. And the thing about it is, and we were talking about it earlier, is First Tire and Automotive. What a brilliant name. How did he come up with that? Yeah. Yeah. Tell us. Well, uh, the truth of the matter is the name of our community is First Colony. So it was called First Colony Tire and Automotive at All the right. beginning. Well, First Colony in the community said, I can no longer use that name. So, with my brilliantness, I decided just to take Colony out, and it became First Tire and Automotive. How Brilliant. simple is that? Brilliant. And you <laughs> yeah. went to college to figure that I out. Did, I did, yes. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love that. So, how long into the first store that you got the juice or the impetus to want to grow? I think right away. Oh, really? I uh, closed in November of 97, and in 99, I opened my second shop. Jeez. And that's the one that I built from ground up. I was going to have a partner in there, and I did for a short time, and then we went separate ways. But bought the property, built a building. Okay, so so I got to stop you there. There's people listening saying he's in business a couple of years, and he goes out and buys a building. He's got to fund that. He's got to get a mortgage for it, loan for it, put the equipment in. Did he have the right people? What was he doing to help staff the place? And there's people that are in business 10, 15 years that are just kind of getting the itch. Maybe I should do this. And you did it within a couple of years. Learning curve? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But that one, location, location, location. Ah. That one was an underserved area. We were able to build it and staff it. And we're talking about 99. So the staffing issue was not as bad back then. Yeah. But we were able to staff it. I overloaded my other store, brought them over. All right. Smart. Our first full month that we were in business, we were profitable. And I have the opposite end of that also. You know, that's number two. And that was in 99. In 2003, I came across an opportunity. It was an existing building that the bank repossessed. And so they were, I bought a building, okay. not a business. Now, the second one was a building too. No, the second one I built from ground up. Oh, you built from ground up, right? Right. And then the number three is, is going to be a building. It was a building. 
So I bought a building. They say, you pay you now, pay me later. I got a great deal on the building. It was an auto repair, All right. but it didn't have a good reputation. So what do they think? They think, well, somebody just went in there and same changed, the, same changed, changed the curtains and same old, opened same it back yeah, up. Yeah. So it took a little while to overcome that stigma. So you weren't profitable in the first month? Uh, no. Were you surprised? Did you know that you may ha- have had a struggle? No, I didn't think. I, I thought, man, look what I did on the second one. Okay. So you uh, go to the third one, you're going to just kill it, right? Just you were cocky. Uh, you yeah. just, yeah. I mean, you're young yeah, and you, yeah. you got all this energy and everything else. I found out that didn't work for me. It well, was hard. It took three years to become profitable. What was the magic? Time. Oh, healing, wounding. I mean, you had to overcome. We had to get the customers in there and show them who we are. We're not that other company. I mean, we changed the colors. We changed everything. So it wasn't not that, but they burned the community. The location. I mean, that's the power of location, location, location. It's either going to hurt you or or it's going to help you. Yeah. So it took a while to get that one profitable, but we finally got it profitable and everything else. And, uh, Four years ago now, or no, it's five years ago now, right. believe it or not, I did the fourth location. So it really took you time to heal yourself. So I mean, were you a little gun shy? Yeah. That's why it took <laughs> several years before I did the fourth one. Yeah. Because it took a while to do that. And I thought, you know, this locations and all the demographics and all the numbers look right and everything else. But my fourth location in Katy, it was surrounded by a zillion people, but it didn't look like a traditional shop. And that's what I found out that not looking like a traditional shop hurt me. It has a poor cachet and everything else, but it had two side doors and it's all air conditioned inside and everything else. And I thought, man, that's going to be great for my technician and people are going to love it. Once again, it's getting the people to know you. And when it's an established area, it's a little bit harder. So if I were to do it again, what would I do? You put four bays right out front. I would put bays out front (laughs) and that would help. The expo everyone has been waiting for is back. The 2022 Napa Expo is coming to the Venetian Convention and Expo Center in Las Vegas, Nevada from July 18th through the 21st. Now it promises to be the biggest and the best Napa Expo yet, so gear up for four days of business-building excitement from general sessions and seminars to an enormous trade show that promises more suppliers, more space, and more products than ever before. It's all intended to help keep your business on the road to success. Industry experts will lead dozens of seminars throughout the day, and general sessions will feature speakers from a variety of backgrounds who encourage you to strive for excellence inspire you to keep your eye on the end game? As for the trade show, with 200 Napa suppliers and 555,000 square feet of exhibition space, you will use every minute of the double trade show hours to see everything there is to see. Visit with Napa suppliers about new products and equipment, as well as the latest diagnostic and repair solutions. There will be areas dedicated to brakes, tools and equipment, heavy duty, the Napa store, and Napa Auto Care making it easier. For you to locate suppliers on the show floor, the Napa Auto Care booth will showcase the cornerstone of the Napa Auto Care program and its elements, including branding and marketing, employee solutions, business management and development, process improvements, and gold certification. In addition to business, there'll be plenty of fun at the 2022 Napa Expo. The entertainment lineup includes country superstar Keith Urban, American rock band The Goo Goo Dolls, and the always entertaining Spasmatics delivering the best songs and cool dance steps of the 80s. Hey, in addition to all the learning and networking opportunities, there will also be an amazing lineup of prizes with a variety of vehicles from ATVs and motorcycles to cars and trucks. For auto care center owners, the 2022 Napa Expo is a can't-miss event. 
If you are not a Napa Expo package holder and are interested in attending, contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store. Hey, see you at the 2022 Napa Expo. We've seen some beautiful shops that don't look like shops. And in your case, they didn't have it. The community didn't have it. The community, I mean, the homeowners association kiboshes everything that you put on it. So you can't, you're limited to whatever you want to do to it. Got it. And all my, all my stores are master plan communities. So you have that area. What about the community, the Facebook, the, you know, the, the marketing effort? Wouldn't you have been able to accelerate? I did do that. I became involved in the community and everything else. But Katy is a large town. It's a big area. And there are a lot of shops in that area. So I'm an established area that I'm having to earn customers away from somebody else. Right. Unless they move into town. So I did the marketing. I did the digital. I did the print. I did all those things. And it does help. But you just got to slowly build the the customer base. And that's, you know, sometimes you think, man, I'm going to kill this. And sometimes it takes a lot longer than you want it to. I think of the word scarred, that you have battle scars for what you did. And you learned a lot. You're toughened for it, but I'm sure not in a bad way, probably in, in a good way. If you had a chance to go to store five, what way would you pick? I would do like I did number one. I would probably either that or number two. And number one, probably probably because if you can go into a business and sometimes it's a good business, but they don't know how to run it as well as they could. And you can go in there and you can turn that business around and make it even more profitable. But you have the customer base, you have the goodwill in the community and you have the location. Yeah. I think that makes a big difference. Craig, you've been around the horn a little bit. You're here with Elite. You know that shop owners out there that are looking to sell, they want more for their business than anyone would logically pay. What do you hear about trying to teach owners that are looking to sell and get out about having a a commonsensical approach to what they need to sell a business for? Everybody thinks their business is worth more than it is. And you have to just go in there and say, okay, you have to have a return on your investment, right? Yeah. So if you're going to come in there and, and you talk to the owner, Joe owner, and say, I'd love to buy your business and here's what I think it's worth. You have to look at the numbers. You have to look at the overhead. You have to look at his reputation. You have to look at all these different factors into the business and understand and I guess teach him what his business is worth. Interesting uh, to teach them. I'm sorry, Craig, I want a million bucks. Come back when you have it. And sometimes that million dollars is a good number. And sometimes it is. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're not doing the volume and everything else, you got to say, okay, you're putting a hundred thousand dollars on the bottom line for the full year. So how do you come up with that? It's going to take me 10 years just to pay for that. Yeah. And nobody wants it, you know, to wait 10 years to recoup their investment. There's tangibles and there's intangibles. You know that you can get to a number that they're happy with, but you have to educate them in order to get to that point. So you seem like the kind of person that could sit across from an owner who doesn't have the expectations of what a deal could look like and should be like from your perspective, because you have to keep saying, listen, I got to have a return. I'm not going to be able to get the money to do this unless the numbers work. Well, I don't care. Just come back with a million dollars. And you say, okay, next. And you go down the line. You're not in any negotiations right now, I'm assuming, but you know so many people in the industry. Are people struggling trying to find their second, third, and fourth because the seller isn't bringing common sense application to a deal? 
In some cases, absolutely. Yes, because uh, people, like you said, they always think it's worth this amount. And you have your EBITDA, and you got to go over that, and you have to tell them, you know, it's only worth this much. I know that you think it's worth this much, but it's only worth X amount. And you hope that you come, you figure out a common solution. And the hardest thing to do is you have your mind made up, I want that business. The best thing you can do is walk away sometimes. Yeah, you just said it. I have my mind made up. I want this. This is my biggest goal. And you overpay or you do something. You, uh, We were talking to uh, someone who didn't vet the technicians and they all quit and they were incompetent. Hey, answer me that question. Owners grant you the ability to talk to the technicians before you decide to buy? I didn't have that issue. I mean, but what do you hear? First, what do you hear? I mean, it's, it's I, I probably can, way too co- I, confidential I, I, to expose I think probably that. not. Probably not. Yeah. And, and the reality is if I go to number five yeah. one day, I will have the people in place to take over that shop if I need to, because you got to be prepared for yeah, it. Yeah. If you're thinking that you're going to go in there and walk in there and nobody's going to walk away, well, you're very naive. Right. So you have to be prepared for the worst and hope for the best. So you want to buy an existing business and run it as if it was a startup. Correct. And because you're going to change things, you're going to change the procedures on how you do things. You're going to change the face of it because you're going to change the name of it. And you're going to change some people. So you're buying customer database, you're buying equipment, tangibles, and you're buying a lot of blue skies. And you're buying blue sky. Hunt Demarest, CPA in our industry, has a show with us on the Aftermarket Radio Network, and he just recently did a three-part series on this for buyers or sellers. Great to listen to because so much of the industry is doing such interesting consolidation, right? And there's so much opportunity, and people are flexing, if you will, their feathers and expanding, and I want to do this, but you got to do it right. If you go into it blind, you're going to get bit every time, and you've got to be prepared for it. you got to be prepared for it because if you think oh man i'm killing it at this one location i'm just going to go double it and do it double down and do it again it doesn't work that way and going from one to two is that was the easiest transition for me first of all you're one of the guys who's come on the show and says oh my god number two was so easy and we've had horror stories be told on number two but the reality is as an owner you can jump back and forth so easy you know where i learned to delegate and set policies and procedures and all these different things. Store number three, because I couldn't divide myself three ways. Yeah, I know. That's when I really changed, and, yeah. and it really made a difference going from that dynamic. Yeah, Guys that, that own you know five, six, seven, eight shops that I've had on, that was the magic number always, Craig. It was store three <laughs> that knocked me over the head. Because you can't do it all. You got to depend on your people. You got to empower them. From your managers, making sure that when a customer comes in, they have the authority to make that decision to take care of that customer. Where as an owner, it's like, you know, sometimes you don't want to give that power away, but you have to. So help me understand the general manager or the COO role. I'm not going to hire a general manager for two stores, but maybe when I go to three, I will. It almost seems like some of the owners, they're in five, six, seven shops. I mean, there's general managers running the place. There's sometimes even district managers, right? right. Is it a smart move to, to start finding somebody to help you run the company? You have to. Okay. You really have to. I think everybody has their strengths, but you don't have everything. So if you, what I do is I try to surround myself around people that fill those voids of my weaknesses. 
So when I do that, whether it's spending the time day to day in the stores, helping the managers and the people or, you know, whatever it is, I make sure that I surround myself with the right person so that they can take care of that stuff. I have to look at the big picture. That's part of my my job is to make sure that I look at the big picture and I take care of. I don't have employees. I have families that work for me because just because that one person works for me doesn't mean that I don't I'm not responsible for that whole family. Right. So I've got to make sure that I present the opportunities for them to succeed and make a good living for their families. So all those things are big picture things that I have to work on so that if I'm working in the business all the time, I don't have time to do that. I would say that 98% of everyone in the conference hall that are here with Elite get that part that they feed families. The top operators in our country that have realized that coaching and learning and nurturing and culture and vision integrator, they're, they're all critically important. How do we take that next level that's listening right now that's really stopping to think, Wow, I was the greatest technician in the world. I started this business and I'm really, really struggling and I'm suffering. How do we get them to cross the line to get up to that next level? Whew, that's a big one. That's a loaded question there. That's uh, what I do for a living. To take your business to the next level. If you're working totally in the business, we all wear multiple hats, be an owner. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But if you're primarily doing the repairs, selling all the service, and then at the end of the day, you're taking care of all the paperwork and everything else. You're exhausted by the end of the day. The best advice you can do is hire that person so that you can get your job done. And I know it's not always easy. And do not hire the first person automatically. Don't fill a void. Fed them. Talk to them. Get to know them. Spend some time before you hire that person because it's nothing worse than hiring the wrong person. Yeah. And if I've been very fortunate, I hired a lot of superstars. And I've been able to keep them. I mean, I've got employees that have been with me 25 years, and I'm celebrating 25 this year. Wow. I've had employees 20, 15, 5. You know, so I've been very, very fortunate that I was able to create a culture is inviting and they enjoy working with me. I love it. When you were talking about the hiring people, I go back to the one of the books that I read, which was so important, and it really motivated me to hire Tracy, was Who Not How. Who Not How. Go to my books page on the website. You can see that book there. And, you know, it kind of almost lends itself into the EOS operating system where you need to have the visionary of the business and then the integrator and uh, what we need to do this person. So, oh, I'll do it. Or you go to the GM and says, well, you do this and you do this. And we've got to handle this and you handle that and you handle that. And all of a sudden, everyone's got the big weight over their head and they're not getting the things done that they were hired to do. So you got to hire a good who, but you have to understand your role. You do. And that you got to explain it to them and let them know what you expect. Set the expectations and put deadlines. That's key. It's a dream until you put a, a deadline on it. Then it's a goal. So set, set the expectations of when they should get this done. Yeah. And But defining the role and working with them and setting the expectations, those are the important things in training. Training them and getting them the information, whether it's online training. There's so much of that now. And are spending the time with them and training them to what you expect them to be. You know, that's the things that probably get overlooked because you get busy in the moment. But taking the time to work with them and setting the expectations, that's what works. Training, big topic of mine. <laughs> Your technicians, what are you doing? Are you paying? Uh, do they have access to online during the day? Are you getting them leader-led? 
I can think of ASE. I mean, there's so many things that I'm working for you. I come to, to work for you. I'm interviewing you, Craig, because I'm a technician who wants to come and find a place that I want to hang my hat on for a long time, career development. What are you working on inside the business to keep your people? There is a lot of training out there, and you have to get to them. I mean, you said in person, online, all these things. Yes, I have all that. You right. have to have all that yeah. because the nice thing about it is a lot of our suppliers have all the in-person training and everything else. And I, and I sign them up and I push for them to go to it. And the other aspect is the online. You just put it out there. It's a battle. Unfortunately, you would think, man, they want to learn. They want to get better. But unless you push them, sometimes they don't. And so there's the accountability piece. So that's a piece that we're working on right now is how do we make sure that we invest in these younger technicians and we want them to learn and grow and they want to learn and grow and, and make more money. But, you know, until they do that training and everything else, you can't expect them to make more money with doing the same job. They got to expand their resources and they got to expand their knowledge. And so we're working on them. And that's what we're working on now is trying to get them to hold them accountable to make sure that they yeah. do yeah. go to these. Cause we, you know, we pay them to go to the classes and everything else because you, you know, it's their time, but uh, we're investing in them and we would like for them to, you know, take it seriously and, and learn. If you're a serious listener to the show, you've heard me talk about this called training resume. And I recently changed my whole philosophy that we should keep a training resume on every technician and I also added the technician needs to keep his own training resume because you could sit across from someone and say, so Carm, what training have you been to? And he can probably rattle off the last six months. And I've been to this, this and that forgetting about the incredible investment he's made over the last two, three, four five years and the repeats that he's done to stay current and the version two and the version three of whatever particular training. In fact, we have an episode, it's on the web, and we kind of purged all the ideas of what would be on a training resume from an employer's perspective and or a, a technician's perspective. And that's the meeting of the minds. And that is, I care so much about what you do for our customers and to make us so good at what we do that we need to continue to see this training resume grow. You know I'm going to pay for it. You need to find the time. I'll give you the time. What do we have to do to get four or five more courses added to this resume and now be sure you add it to yours. And that's a proud holder for a technician to go out and say, I had no idea in the last four or five years I've been here. I've done this kind of training. They care for me. And if by any chance, crazy chance, they need to feel they have to go somewhere, they could take it with them. It just proves that their commitment. Wouldn't you want to hire somebody who's sitting across from you that shows you his training resume? Absolutely, because that means they want to keep on learning. I have to keep on learning. Yeah. You can't just sit back because the world will pass you yeah, by yeah. if you just sit back. So it's a challenge, especially some as our technicians are aging and trying to get the new younger technicians in there. I found some that are really hungry for knowledge. One is to thrive in our business and you give them all the resources and tools. And it's amazing how resourceful they are too. I mean, from all the digital learning, uh, the resources from you know, Identifix and all that and all these different sources that they can look up stuff. YouTube. Oh my God. They use that all the time also, yeah, but yeah. they take a different approach to a lot of the older technicians because they had the experience, but they're taking a faster approach to fixing things. It's kind of a breath of fresh air that the fact that these technicians will use these resources 
to figure out the problem where some of the old technicians, they'll dig down in there to, I'm going to fix it no matter how long it takes. You know, I'd rather have somebody use the resources and fix it faster and correct than to take all day and, you know, struggle to fix it. We recently did a show with John Gardner with a whole bunch of guys on the show. John Gardner, he's on the Discovery Channel, but he's also a, a teacher in Florida. And one of the things that he said that sticks with me today, he says, our young kids are sharp and they're talented, but they need an opportunity. And we have to embrace them, bring them in and be sure that uh, we're, we're probably not teaching them the soft skills that they need to know. And instead of any shop owner taking a young individual, bring them in on the ground floor and walk away and say, show me what you learned in school. You don't expect that. Embrace them as if they were green and mean and lean and start up and watch these young people grow. Opportunity is the, is the key that you're talking about, giving them the opportunity. What happens in our industry a lot of times is we'll get this young technician in or wannabe technician in. We earmark them and we pigeonhole them into a oil change tech lube or something like that. And in, in I did it for 10 years, so you but do But we it. can't. Unfortunately, <laughs> we have to give no, them you're right. Yeah. And if we don't give them the opportunity, we're losing them. And we did a bad job of that. Yeah. We did a terrible job in our industry of burning this new generation out by doing that. So now we're having to refigure it all out. And part of it is bringing them in, giving them the opportunity, having the experienced technicians go and help them. Yeah. Hey, ever had anybody just come up to you in the last six months, a surprise person, important technician leave, just say, hey, I'm out of here. I got an offer. Thank goodness. No. Wow. No. I, it, wow. That's huge to hear. Even though I have four locations, they're families and we have events together. We did a crawfish boil a couple of months ago. So we get to know the whole family. We have the whole family come out and everything else. I know everybody in the company. So how uh, often do you meet, uh, meet, meet your general manager or you, uh, just so that you know what's going on in their world and what their expectations of life is? Pop in and out of the stores okay. weekly. You know, I don't go through the front door. I always go through the shop and say hi and get to know them and, and you know, how they're doing, you know, what's going on in your life. Right. And I think that's important because they are a person. They're not a revenue source. They're not a technician. They're a person. They're a person first. And sometimes just by going by and how you're doing, you can find out what's going on in their life. And something might be upside down. And then you have to, if you need to take some time off to take care of this, you know, you won't know that unless you ask. So, Craig Pope, uh, what's next? I don't know what the next thing is. Well, you know, but you're not going to tell me. There might be number five, Maybe, but I don't you know. know. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I'm just looking for a scoop. <laughs> No, I'm only kidding with you. But yeah, uh, it sounds like you got one hell of a business and I'm hearing culture and how Culture's, hard you work at it. Culture is a big part of it because um, you're only as good as your weakest link, right? So everybody understands my culture of taking care of the customers and doing the right things. And sometimes doing the right things is hard, but it's still the right thing. And that's one of the things I always tell my managers when they ask, you know, what do I need to do? And I always tell them what's the right thing to do. And you might ask the customer, what does it take to make it right? So it's as simple as that. But those simple things are big a lot of times. So enjoyed this. So did I. Thank you. Appreciate all your great wisdom. Craig Pope from First Tire and Automotive in Sugarland, Katy, Texas. 
and your your great story about your uh, your startup. I just love it. If you missed the beginning, re-listen to the beginning again. Uh, general manager made a deal, and you didn't have a clue what you were doing. And I I love it, man. That it kind of reminds me of how you had such a huge learning curve in the first eighteen months of uh, of being in the business. It was a learning curve because I mean, it, taking care of people is what you want to do, and that's what I wanted to do, and it just naturally happened. Remember that, everyone. Thanks, Craig. Thank you. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.